we grow every day, every week. I don't know if it's the sound is pushing y'all further away. You can sit in the back row or what, but there's just a lot of people here. And that's just praiseworthy. All right, we'll be back in Romans chapter 7 this morning. Romans chapter 7. Last week we saw that Paul wanted his readers to know that they were servants of righteousness and not servants of sin. We talked about the, uh, Paul's readers as servants or slaves to sin, but in Christ they were servants or slaves to righteousness. And this week we continue with that same idea of Paul wanting his readers to know something and he wants them to know that grace still abounds and we'll learn today that our marriage to the law sin and death is over and our marriage to Christ has freed us from sin and death so let's read the passage and then we'll pray uh, Romans chapter 7 I'll begin reading in verse 1 <clears throat> Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that they, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, and we thank you that we can worship you here on this property. Father, we thank you that you've just given us the ability and the, the means to come and worship you today. And Father, we ask that we'd just be knit together in your word, Father, just knit our hearts together in unity in your word because your word is not bound by any of our 
limited thoughts or limited abilities, but it goes forth and it goes beyond ourselves. And Father, we thank you for that. And we ask that you'll just help us today as we look into your word, that we'd see the truth in it and apply it deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in verse 1, he talks about know ye not. I heard preachers say that when Paul said know ye not, the people didn't know. So he's informing them. He doesn't want them to be ignorant of what he's about to say and what he's about, what he's already said. Romans uh, uh, 7 1 says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. He's, he's talking to people that know the law. They're familiar with what the law says, they're familiar with the precepts of it. And he goes on to say, he says, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives. You know, um, sometimes we in our society will sentence someone to death for some crime that they committed. But once they're dead, the law has no more authority over them. It just ends. There's nothing more that the law can do to a person than take their life. And that's the civil law, and God's law is the same way. Once we're dead, we're no longer bound by the law. It has no more effect on us. Um, Paul wanted his readers and hearers to know that they were freed from the dominion of the law. And dominion is used here as one that has authority over them or power over them. The law acts as one, the law acts as or is one that represents one that has power or authority over them. That's what the law is doing. It represents something that has a authority over another. Uh, the authority of the law is only in effect as long as we live, as, as long as a person lives. When a person dies, there's no more authority over that person. There is a principle that we learn from what Jesus said to his disciples about those who persecute them. In Matthew, you can start heading over to Matthew chapter 10, but that principle or that situation, the context of Jesus is sending the disciples out to go to the villages of Israel and preach to them, preach the kingdom of God to them. And in Matthew 10, 28, it says, and fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. You see in this verse, there's two powers there. There's two levels of power. The first level only can affect the physical life. It can only take your life. So when the disciples were sent out and Jesus warned them, he said, you know, there's going to people, be people that persecute you. 
there's going to be people that will kill you because that's all they can do to you. Don't fear that. Then he talks about the second level of authority and power. That dominion, that second level of dominion. He says to fear the one that can not only kill the body, but that can also kill the soul. Fear the one that can eternally kill the body. And that can eternally kill the soul. That's the one you should fear. And that's the God Almighty, the creator of the universe. You know, we death is something that comes to every one of us. And we all fear it. God has put it in us that we don't want to die. We all want to live. But the thing about death, we don't we don't know what it is. We don't know how it affects us other than what we can see with our eyes. You know, we can see a person stop breathing. We can know that their heart has stopped beating. We can see that their mind has stopped functioning. We don't really know how that feels. And that's what Jesus is warning them of. Fear the one who can put you eternally in death. I don't know what it means to eternally die. I don't. You know, I've watched animals I've killed chickens to eat them, killed other animals, and I see there's a struggle that happens when they're dying. I don't know what that is like to be eternally dying when you look at a, an animal that's dying, or a human, to be eternally dying. Now, I don't. You know, hell, or the Bible describes hell as a pit of fire that burns with brimstone. So there's a lot of pain there. Then he goes on in verse 2. He says, it's bound to a husband. He prays there. He says, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Paul uses marriage as a comparison to the authority that the law has over a person and to, to the authority that God has over his creation. In the marriage bond, we're talk, we know that when you come to a marriage the husband and wife are bound to each other. And they're bound to each other for as long as one or the other lives. Now when, when either the husband dies or when the wife dies, they're no longer bound to each other. They're not bound they no longer have responsibility towards each other. 
that bond is broken and there's no longer any obligation to each other once that bond is broken. And we understand that the husband and wife are equally obligated to each other. There's an equal relationship there between a husband and wife. They're both obligated, but Paul uses, he speaks of the man as the one dying first here, because that's what really actually happens. The wife often outlives the wife, but it's not just one way. It's not like the husband is not obligated and the wife is. You might get that misunderstanding of the scripture when you read it, but the wife and the husband are equally bound to each other. Romans 7.3, the scenario of marriage bond, Paul goes into a scenario here of the marriage bond and its violations. He says in verse 3, so then if while the husband liveth and she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another. We understand that the husband is just as obligated to the wife as the wife is to the husband. In this example, the wife marries another man while the first one is still alive. And when that happens, she's an adulteress. But if the husband is dead, she is no longer bound to her first husband, but is free from that relationship. So you understand what Paul is doing here, using this comparison between marriage and the law and in being in Christ. When you die to the one, you're no longer obligated to the other. Removing the dominion of the law, verse 4, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. The Christian, the person that has come in repentance and faith to Christ, is dead to the law. And we saw, we looked at that a lot in the last chapter about being dead to the law and how that when Christ died, we died in him. In Christ, we died. We died to the law. Paul's argument here is, let me back up a second here. Remember the last verse of chapter 6. What did it say? Look up there. It says, For the wages of sin is death. So we understand that the penalty for breaking God's law is death. The penalty is death. 
in Paul's argument, we are essentially dead because we're all breakers of God's law. But before we come and to faith in Christ, we are breakers of God's law. Therefore, the wages for that is death. So we're essentially, we're just dead men walking. We're just dead men walking in God's sight. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, as Ephesians 2, 1 tells us. This is the first part of verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. This is the part where the spiritual authority can cast the body and soul into hell. That authority, that spiritual authority that can place us a person in hell, both body and spirit, is that part, that wages of sin and death. That's the dominion, that's the authority that can do so. The wages of sin is death. And we know that's physical, that's the physical body. The law covers the physical body when we're under it. But there's the spiritual side of that that talks about, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The spiritual authority offers the gift of eternal life. The same one who demands justice for lawbreakers is the one who offers the gift of eternal life. Same person, and that's God. This is Will God's surprise and mission statement right here. Well, I've entitled, I don't often remember to remind you that the study in Romans is Will God Surprise in Missions? Well, this statement right here is a Will God Surprise in Missions statement. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For those who have the gift of God, they are married to Christ Jesus that frees them from the first marriage to the law. So you get that in these verses that Paul is taking us through this sanctification and regeneration. He's talking about what happens to a person after they come to faith in Christ. And one of the things that happens at the moment the heart is regenerated is that we're married to Christ. And in that marriage, as we saw in the last chapter, that in that marriage, when we are in Christ, we're freed from the penalty of sin. We're freed from the penalty of sin. And Paul is using in his comparison here between marriage to the law and marriage to a husband and wife. We're married to Christ. And when you're married, I talked a few weeks ago about this, when you're married into another family, if the wife has riches and the husband has a lot of debt, 
and they come together. Now the, the husband gets the riches of the wife, and the wife gets the debt of the husband, or vice versa. If the husband is rich and the, the wife is in debt, they get it together. Okay? And that's what happens when we're in Christ. When we receive that gift of eternal life, the death of Christ is a credit to our account for our sin. And our debt of sin is a credit to Christ. Not the way we would think about saving people. Definitely not. For those who have the gift of God, they are married to Christ Jesus. That frees them from their first marriage to the law. This, however, does not negate the law. It doesn't do away with the law at all. It establishes the law. And we've learned that already in this study that when we come to Christ, it doesn't do away the law, it establishes the law. This new marriage is based upon justice because Jesus is the one who died for the sin debt of those who believe. You remember when we talked about God is, the just, is just and the justifier of sinners? This marriage bond between Christ and us is based on justice. So the law is not done away with. We still have to love the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbor as ourselves. Because Jesus established that when he died for our sins. Jesus satisfied that sin debt for all who believe. He satisfied. He doesn't satisfy just the ones up to where you made that profession of faith. His grace is sufficient to take us all the way to heaven. His payment for sin is sufficient get us through those pearly gates if you want to call it that all the way there not one sin was omitted because if there was one sin that Christ didn't pay for it would be my sin it would be yours but he, did, he paid for all those sins for all who turned to him in repentance and faith The fruit of marriage, of the law and sin and death, in verse 5 it says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The law didn't make us sinners. The law revealed the sin in us, that sin nature. So, 
the law makes sin abound in us is what we've already learned it reveals all of it and when we think we're just good on the outside and we look good to our neighbor the law penetrates into our heart it penetrates those thoughts we have goes deep in our heart he's talking about there. That's the violations. The marriage to the law brings sin and death. We were bound to that marriage because we were dead. And we had not received the gift of God. We had a debt. We were bound to that law because that law required our death. But in Christ, we're freed from that. Verse 6, we're delivered from the law. Verse 6 says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In Christ, in Christ, we're delivered from the law of sin and death. And we're delivered to live a righteous life. We're delivered to live a holy life. And in, that, and in that deliverance, we're given the ability to do that. doesn't mean we become sinless or perfect because we have an advocate with the Father always there making intercession for us. That's Jesus Christ, the righteous. Receiving the gift of God places us in Christ. We talked about that last week. In Christ we were freed from the dominion of the law. Going back a few, few weeks we were freed from the law not because the law is no longer in effect but because we were given a new heart we talked about regeneration when we come to faith in Christ we're given a new heart is what Ezekiel says the heart of stone that's in us is replaced with the heart of flesh we're given a heart that has the commandments of God written on our heart so that our wonder, some people say, I don't want to do those things anymore. Our wonder's been changed. But the law of God is written on our heart. And we're freed. We willingly do the law. As Pastor Doug preached to us a few weeks ago, the law's not done away, it's established with because it's in the law that the gospel the law is written in the gospel that we need a savior and if you feel the weight today of the law of God's law of sin and death God has an offer of a gift of life eternal life 
in freedom from the penalty of sin. You can receive that freedom today. You can receive it right now. Turn over in your Bible, Romans chapter 10, and we'll read a couple verses that explains it to us better than I can. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, coming to Christ is just turning to him in repentance and faith, turning away from your sinful life and turning to him in faith that he's able to forgive you, that in faith that he paid your sin debt, in faith that he can save you all the way to heaven. And for the Christian, please understand that you have this freedom already. You're freed from the penalty of sin. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, again, we thank you that through the powerful work of the gospel that you freed us, you offer us, you give us freedom from sin and death. Father, we just thank you and we praise you for that. And Father, we ask that we humbly ask that if there's one that hears this today and they feel that weight of sin and death on their heart, Father, we ask that you do that work that only you can do and that's save them. Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus, do it for him. Do it for your own glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So please remain standing for our last song. Please join us as we sing, God, rest ye merry gentlemen.